I hope you're in 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we have been going through Peter's letters, and here we are yet again. We're going to hopefully cover all of this chapter here, 2 Peter chapter 2, as we're making headway almost, uh, almost nearing the end of this study of the letters of the Apostle Peter. And I hope that you've been encouraged by it, and hopefully tonight you'll be encouraged, even though uh, this chapter presents a little bit of a challenge, only because uh, the whole chapter, all 22 verses, Peter goes on a somewhat of a diatribe, so to speak, in terms of uh, calling out false teachers. Uh, he doesn't mince words, he doesn't waste a lot of words, and he doesn't beat around the bush when he comes to these guys. <laughs> he was very strong and very forceful with what he is about to say. Uh, but we spent a lot of time already, uh, go, as we've started Second Peter especially, uh, emphasizing the theme of assurance. I truly believe that assurance is one of the great themes of this second letter of the Apostle Peter as he is seeking to make sure that these churches are sure of what they believe, of what he has told them, of what he has written to them, of what he has uh, um, uh, preached to them. And and now, as, as we've noted, especially last week, as he is nearing the end of his life, as he is sure that his time on this earth is coming to an end, he is wanting them to be sure that this, quote, like precious faith that they have, that he has referred to in chapter 1, verse 1, will be their faith regardless of whether an apostle is, is speaking it to them or not. He wants them to be very uh, sure of what they believe, it, it, especially, especially with the future that faces them. And to be sure, what he has emphasized, as we spent some weeks on, is this knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as he has said several times in chapter 1. This is the confidence, this is the assurance that he wants them to have. And so, uh, to go along with this, he is now going to, to arm them and equip them uh, with... Uh, some more sort of tools we could say to uh, be sure of their faith and especially how they can know that they have the truth. And I think this is what chapter 2 presents to us. This is, I think, the main concern in these 22 verses. It's uh, an interesting chapter. Uh, you can see his argument, so to speak, in terms of, of why he is calling out these false prophets. It's a chapter that is almost identical I shouldn't say identical. It's very, very similar to the book of Jude. You can compare the two, uh, that letter with this chapter, and it reads almost exactly the same in terms of the emphasis and in terms of even some of the examples. Uh, so many believe that Jude was based on Peter or vice versa. It doesn't matter much. They are both based off the Holy Spirit. So um, either way. Uh, what I want to say is this, is that what Paul, what, not Paul, what Peter's going to do here is he's going to call out these false teachers and he uses some strong language in verse one. He calls them out for uh, promoting damnable heresies. Now, I want to be careful because I think <clears throat> we are quick to label such and such teacher and such and such doctrine as heresy. And, and this is no small claim. Uh, Peter is not being flippant with this label here in this chapter. Uh, He's not being uh, really quick to pull that trigger uh, in terms of saying these men, these false teachers, these swindlers of the truth, we might say, are false prophets and heretics. 
Uh, I do believe, though, that we need to exercise some caution and consideration when we uh, seek to do the same. However, I think what we can do is, is put anyone that we have questions about through the grid of Second Peter chapter 2 here. And I think it'll really rise to the surface in terms of where they are in terms of this scale of heresy versus orthodoxy, you might say. But I think the overarching theme of chapter 2 here in Second Peter is this encouragement for spiritual discernment. Really what I see here is Peter giving almost authority to the churches to exercise discernment in terms of how they hear the truth, how they discern what is true, what is the, quote, true grace of God as he has encouraged them to stand in. Because notice, notice verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 again. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their, perni- their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. You notice that one of the primary methods that Peter is here going to emphasize at the very beginning is the fact that these deceptions, that these damnable heresies come in through uh, sort of private conversations. He says they come in, as he says there, privily or secretly or craftily. Which is to say they almost come in through subtlety or through unnoticed ways. So often, I think, some of the most dangerous teachers are those that are just a hair's breadth off of orthodoxy. Because they sound so true and so good and so right, and yet they are so wrong. And I think the devil knows, and I'm not saying these men are like uh, Satan-inspired, but the devil knows how to bring down truth is just with a smidgen of falsehood in it. With just a very small modicum of deception, he can bring down the truth. Such is why Peter here is emphasizing, know what they are saying and know that you have the truth. Because then you'll be able to identify where these deceivers are getting in. As he says later in the chapter, I love how he uses these words in verse 18. Because they speak with great swelling words. (laughs) They're smooth talkers. They're eloquent speakers. They know how to use language in order to make their arguments, in order for them to sound true and right. But really, they're just disguising their true nature. They're swindlers. They're deceivers. Who, in verse 3, he wastes no time. Verse 3, who through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. All they want to do is make merchandise of you. They want to exploit you to fill their own pockets. (laughs) We're going to get into the whole chapter. But all of this to say, I think chapter 2 is a wonderful chapter to admonish the church to exercise their God-given ability to discern what is true. Which is just a fancy way of saying, bring your Bibles to church. <laughs> so often, I'm not one to really harp on like, you got to use a real Bible. You can use your iPhone if you want, as long as you're not checking Instagram. I'm okay with that. Um, it's the, you have the Word of God in front of you. All of that to say, though, is uh, check what I'm saying. 
Don't just assume, I mean, you, you should trust that I'm preaching truth, but don't just assume that whoever is in front of you is using the scriptures to speak orthodox truth to you. Not to say that you have to be dubious of everyone, but this was one of the key things that brought about the Reformation. I'm reading a, I'm reading a biography of Luther right now, and I just read this chapter, which is such an interesting way to describe it, how Luther, quote, discovered the Bible. Because essentially, uh, that's what happened. Because the Roman church had controlled not just what was preached, but what was read. So only the clergy were allowed to read certain pages or certain portions of the scripture. And even those who were learned, even those who were uh, higher up, so to speak, in the church, were not given full Bibles from which to study. Books were rare. With the advent of the printing press and Luther's just zeal for truth, this is what gave way to the Reformation. Because finally, there was a Bible in people's hands. And it was almost as if Luther was reading something that he had never heard of before. (laughs) And you can imagine, this is why he was struck so greatly when he was teaching through Romans. And he comes across Romans 1 verse 16 and 17, that the just shall live by faith. (laughs) And he was struck by that, struck anew by that because he had discovered the scriptures and he discovered that the faith that they have there is not faith in works of righteousness that they perform. It's faith in the righteousness of God. Oh, which, by the way, Peter talks about. Second Peter one, verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have tamed like precious faith. With us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what, I'm going to start preaching on assurance again. This is the birthplace of faith. The birthplace of the Reformation. The birthplace of what we stand on is right here. It's the, the faith in the righteousness of God that we have through Christ Jesus. And it comes about by those who stand for what is true. By knowing the truth and discerning what is true. In fact, Luther says this. That it concerns, quote, everyone's own soul's salvation. To know what God's word is and what false doctrines are. It concerns your soul. It's not just something to have as a hobby. It concerns your soul and where you are in your faith to know what is true and to recognize what is false. In order to do that... We have to spend time in this precious word and spend time growing in like precious faith. To be sure, though, these false teachers that were alive and well in Peter's day, these deceivers are greatly judged in this chapter. And I think this sets the standard by which we, too, can judge false versus true. So I want to look at this real quick. These three lessons... Concerning these deceivers. Three lessons concerning them. Notice in verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to jump down to verse 10. Firstly the deceiver's description. The deceiver's description. Notice verses 1 and 2 again. But there, excuse me, there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Even denying the Lord that bought them. <clears throat> And bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Again, as we said earlier, Peter doesn't mince words. He doesn't doesn't waste time. He gets right to the point and forcefully and boldly calling out and describing falsehood. And yes, we can say in penetrating fashion. Look at verse 10. I'm going to read from verse 10 down through verse 17 and just listen to the forcefulness with which Peter is here calling out these deceivers. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak of speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count, count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and hearts they have exercised in, with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way, and are gone astray, falling the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. (laughs) Do you think Peter had a high view of these guys? (laughs) Not likely. (laughs) Again, we have to remember who Peter is. And I think this is precisely why God would use such a man as Peter. He's a man who isn't afraid to speak his mind. We've seen that throughout the Gospels. It got him into a lot of trouble. A lot of times in the Gospels when Peter speaks without thinking, he should have stopped first. And now it's almost like, again, as we have noted before, it's almost as if God saw that, Jesus saw that, and he wanted to channel that. Because he knew what a powerful torch, what a powerful flame this man could be in presenting the truth of the gospel. And now here, as he is about to leave this earth, he is standing boldly and strongly saying, this is the truth and this is not. He's calling it out with great force. Notice he says they walk after flesh, verse 10. They are self-willed. They're not guided by anything spiritual. They're not guided by anything godly. Actually, as he says there in verse 12, they act actually more like brute beasts. They're animals. They're instinctual. They're impulsive. They act upon nature, not upon what the Spirit guides them and tells them. Therefore, they are willed by themselves, not by the Spirit. They are presumptuous, as he says in verse 10. Which basically just means they are arrogant, full of themselves. They are full of their own rhetoric. These deceivers are so full of the things that they have come to say is the truth. That, that they are unafraid to audaciously, as he says, they despise government. 
As he says, to, they are unafraid to speak evil of dignities. Precisely because they, they don't recognize any authority but their own authority. They are their own authority. They don't recognize anyone else as being higher than them. They are presumptuous in their own righteousness. Presumptuous in their own wisdom. And note verse 11, which is really interesting to me. He says, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. He says, angels, they are actually afraid to call out dignities in their own ability, in their own authority, even though they're greater in power. Yet they do so only in the words of the Lord. And yet these deceivers are perfectly willing, he says, to boast in themselves. They are so presumptuous. They're presuming upon their own authority. That they don't have anyone that they need to answer to. Such is why. Can you imagine being called this today in verse 13? Being called spots and blemishes on the grace of God. Spots and blemishes and are they sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. <laughs> They're stains. Stains on the righteousness of God and the truth of the gospel. They revel. <laughs> revel in their own deception as he says there. As they strive to deceive others and bring them down. They have eyes, as he says there in verse 14, full of adultery. They cannot even think about not sinning. <laughs> they, can't, they are always seeking ways to excuse their infidelity, to excuse their lifestyles. Who's to stop them from excusing sin if they are their own authorities? <laughs> you see, they're setting themselves up as the ones who are making all the rules, and therefore they are the ones who are able to break them. <laughs> And they will stop at nothing to preserve themselves, which is where we get this really, I think, fascinating uh, instance of using this parable, or not even a parable, the story of Balaam. Look again at verse 15 and 16. As he says that these deceivers in the present day of that church, they have gone the way of Balaam. He says, which have forsaken the right way, so they knew what was true. They knew what was right, and they have forsaken it. And now they are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. (laughs) Here, Peter is making a deep cut on Israelite history. (laughs) If you remember... You remember the story of Balaam? That's an awesome story. Luther actually uses it to reference the fact that the Roman church had become, uh, had become the quote ass because they, uh, or that he had become the, the ass that was speaking to the Roman church, which is just a funny joke, I think. Um, but anyways, here, if you remember the story, Balaam is a Gentile prophet. He's a Gentile prophet who had been commissioned to speak a curse on the people of Israel by the enemy king Balak. And of course he, uh, pay, he was going to pay him to do this. Which is where you get Peter's insertion there of the wages of unrighteousness. That he loved them. 
And Balaam knew this was wrong. God spoke to him. You can read about this story, by the way. In Numbers, I think it's 22 through about 24 to 25. Balaam knew that this was not the right way to go about things. And yet he determined to do it anyways because he was set to profit off of this. <laughs> and so determined that he was he in going out to speak this word, make profit off of this preaching against God's people. Even after God had warned him uh, that now God uses his own donkey, which he's riding on in the field to speak to him. <laughs> It's not God speaking. God speaks through a donkey. Can you imagine that? This is like Chronicles of Narnia, but in real life. This is a donkey speaking a sermon to a prophet. It's an amazing scene. Yet, of course, if you know the rest of the story, Balaam basically ignores the sermon and he plunges Israel into decadence. The point is, what, what Peter is here making is that just like Balaam, he was ruled by his pockets. He was ruled by his covetousness. He was ruled by this idea you know, if he was going to make merchandise off of the people of Israel. So have these false prophets. They don't care about your soul. They're not ruled by the king of kings. They don't, they don't care about truth. They care about their pockets. They are, as he says there, they, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. They don't have anything of real substance to give you. As he says in verse 17, they are wells without water. Wells that have, won, have, that have run dry are not very useful. They don't produce anything profitable or substantial or beneficial. Jude, in the parallel passage, Jude verses 12 and 13, he calls them waterless clouds. And that's essentially what Peter's there uh, saying when he says they are, uh, they are clouds that are carried with a tempest. Clouds that look like, look like rain, but no rain ever comes. They make great shows of themselves, but they have nothing meaningful to give. Because they don't have the truth. <laughs> They don't have God's word speaking through them. And God's word that they are able to give unto anyone who's listening to them. This description of these deceivers is one that we ought to take note of. But notice secondly, we have the deceiver's description. But notice verse 3. I'm going to read a couple other verses here. We have the deceiver's devastation. Notice verse 3. He says they use these feigned words... And they make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. This merchandise really just means they're exploiting people with their uh, beguiling words. And in fact, I think this is the true devastation that these deceivers bring about. Notice again verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin... Beguiling unstable souls. This to me is one of the saddest uh, sort of lines in this letter. That these deceivers, these false teachers, these, these prophets who are full of, as Peter says, damnable heresies. Were going out and actually seeking those whom they knew that they could beguile and swindle in their faith. 
Those who are, quote, unstable. The inference is, or the suggestion is, they were going after very new young believers to the faith. Those, quote, still learning the ropes. Those who were new to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior. These they brought down. These they devastated. As he says in verse 18, with great swelling words of vanity. Notice, for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. With speech devoid of truth is what he's saying. With speech that they can't even give what they say that they are giving. They are using their words to deceive those that were clean to fall back into their lifestyles of wantonness, of corruption, of the lusts of the flesh. They use fancy sounding speech to make people fall again. To make people uh, flounder and blunder their lives. And notice verse 19, he says, they promise them liberty. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. They promise freedom, but they are actually selling slavery. They promise freedom and they promise liberty, but they are actually the servants of corruption, the servants of bondage. They are actually selling more people into sin than anyone else in the world. They entangle lives, as he says. They are entangling them therein by what they are overcome by. Their own presumptuous righteousness. In verse 22, 21 and 22, they are basically dogs who are inviting other dogs to return to their own vomit. Or to use an even grosser picture, they are, they are swine Who are wallowing in the mud. Notice verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. It's a grotesque scene that he's painting of these deceivers. It's one that we don't like to ponder, that we shouldn't like to think about too longly. But as such is, I think, Peter's point. That these deceivers are actually actually grotesque teachers. They don't have anything of the way of truth to offer. And yet they are swindling people with feigned words, with great swelling words. And they are bringing them to actually just mire in wantonness and corruption. Which is to say this, that a great way that you can know what the truth is, is that is, is the truth and about discipleship is that it is always about building up fellow believers in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You notice he, that's his primary premise back in chapter 1 verse 2. Grace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he says that again in verse 20. 
the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, sometimes discipleship looks like constructive criticism, but the end game is always edification, is always more like Christ. So we can say, if you're not being led, or excuse me, if you are being led into unbiblical waters, you are not being led by the Bible. These deceivers were leading people astray with their own presumption, with their own audacity. And in the end, they were leading people into something anti-gospel. As Peter says in chapter 2, verse 2, their ways were pernicious. <laughs> Word means ruinous or destructive. The, the end result of the road that they were on was nothing but destruction. So no wonder they bring people down. That's the only way that their road can end. It ends in destruction. It ends in ruin. Which brings me to point number three, which is the deceiver's destination. The deceiver's destination. Notice verse one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. Peter is not... Ambiguous about what awaits these deceivers. What awaits them is destruction. What awaits them is swift destruction, to use his words, and an unslumbering uh, damnation. And here, Peter is wanting to remind them that God, yes, the great deliverer and savior of their lives, is also God, the great judge and king of all peoples and nations and tongues. He judges swiftly and severely those who deceive others with falsehood. Those who deny the truth. Because notice verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down to hell. And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And spared not the old world but saved Noah the eighth person. A preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them with an overthrow making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And to preserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God is the great judge. And he's going to judge these who stand up in front of people and proclaim the truth. And instead they're just swindling men's souls with nothing but falsehood. And causing them to wallow in the mire of their own corruption. As he says, these deceivers are likened to dogs. Dogs that are nipping at the heels of truth. 
who are just inflicting nothing but havoc on the faith and on the church. And what is their fundamental flaw? It stems from perhaps one of the most basic questions of the faith. Because notice again verse 1. Chief among these damnable heresies for which they shall be judged. Just like these examples that he has just referenced. Notice what he says in verse 1. There were false prophets among, also among the people. Even also shall there be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Even denying the Lord that bought them. They reject any notion Of having a Lord who purchased and redeemed them. This is an interesting phrase. So often we probably just casually gloss over it. But as he says here, the Lord that bought them. This Lord is a much different Lord than the ones we are often used to. It doesn't mean Messiah as we are familiar with. It actually is a reference to Jesus the Master. Literally, the, the word can be translated despot. It's indicative of a scene of which an owner is buying slaves. With this Lord and Master purchasing something or someone. And you get this incredible scene That this is precisely what Jesus did on the cross. And what thou, these false teachers are doing is shoving their hands in the faces of their owner. You get a sense of the seriousness of this scene. Because Jesus didn't just buy them with some pocket change. He bought them with his own blood. And they're denying that ownership. That ownership that God has over them. They are thumbing their nose at that. Swindling people's faith. With a denial of Jesus' authority. Remember what Jesus asked his disciples? I think it's in Mark 8. What think ye of Christ? (laughs) And they had lots of answers. And finally, who was it that spoke up? (laughs) It was Peter. Peter. You are the Christ. Here these false teachers failed to answer that correction, that question appropriately. They put themselves in the place of the authority. So how will you answer that question? Because I think how you answer that question determines how you can interact with this chapter. God cares about truth and how we steward it. And so may we use discernment to stand on truth. To identify falsehood and to identify truth. And to stand on the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, our master. He's not a cruel master. He's not a cruel tyrant. He's a gentle and lowly shepherd. (laughs) Who saves those. Who as he says. Buys them. Purchases. Redeems them. With his own blood. May we stand on that truth. And not. The falsehood that is so prevalent in our day. Let us pray.